0: What's up everyone and welcome to episode 69 of the Justin an Insight podcast, a show where we dive into the lives of the people who are involved in alternative music, whether that be a musician, writer, creator, whatever they be, we want to talk to them. Uh, I'm your host Tim Baerbeck, and according to the nation at the moment, it's coming home. Um, now, I know not everyone's going to be a massive football fan uh, and I'm among the cynical football fans in our country, but you have to admit it, it's pretty exciting, like... And realistically, I never thought I'd see an England team win a World Cup in my lifetime, to be honest, because, as I said, I'm quite quite cynical. But this is realistically one of the best chances England have to to win a World Cup. So, apart from all the shit that comes along with that, all the videos we've seen, the, the bloke in Clapham Junction jumping off a double-decker bus through a bus stop, got exactly what he deserved, in my opinion. All the twats who we're jumping on emergency vehicles if they get arrested or whatever again totally deserve it but yeah fingers crossed like Wednesday bring it on let's let's see if we can get to the final and bring it home i guess but yeah um for regular listeners of the show they'll know i like to do a little roundup of what i've been up to in the past week um and apart from just trying to survive in this insane heat um if though, For those who don't know, I'm a six foot two pasty ginger guy with long hair. I'm not built for this weather. Um, so, But that being said, I was out in it all weekend covering the Be Love Music Festival in Basingstoke. Um, not usually my normal bag. It's something I had to do for my day job. But despite the searing heat and me melting away, um, it was actually quite fun. Like, it looks like you haven't set up any- Oh, hello, searing. and thermostats in the home app fuck Siri's telling me about heating because like I said melting away there we go that's a new one um, I've lost my train of thought yeah I've, sorry it was, it was quite different uh, from what I usually like but it was quite it was still quite entertaining some of the acts were bad to, to I think it's a nice thing but there were some highlights uh, there was these two sort of acrobatic uh, dance performance which were really good uh, I've realised as I get older, my appreciation for kind of dance, theatre and art and things like that has grown massively, which I'm totally okay with. Um, in terms of the music itself, Dream State, who were one of the bands that I was very excited to see, were really good and I can understand why there's so much hype around them. Um, oh, sorry, excuse me just had some dinner so it's repeating on me a little bit I do apologise um and also the said Sunday headliner who was uh Reef I was pleasantly surprised with them um obviously everyone knows the the hit put your hands on and place your hands on put your hands on place your hands on I think it is called I can't remember I can't be bothered to look it up um that obviously got the biggest reaction but in in all they were really entertaining and enjoyable to watch um on the complete different end of the spectrum, we have this week's guest, who is vocalist of The Agony Scene, Mike Williams. Um, the Agony Scene were a band that I was heavily into when I was in, in college, kind of dropped off them a little bit. But um, the opportunity for to, to have a chat with Mike came up, so it was one that I was going to jump on. Um, we chat about the band's sort of growing up and being part of the, the MySpace era and what it was kind of meant to be part of that. Uh, we obviously talk about the the breakup that the band had and and them getting back together and and how things have been since that reforming um and we also talk about the the fact the band have a new record coming out later on this month um and what the reception to to that new material has been like um so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with mike williams and i'll see you on the other side joining me this week on the Justin insight podcast is vocalist of the agony scene mike williams mike thank you very much for for taking out the time to have a chat with me how are you
1: i'm doing well man how are you
0: yeah very good had a bit of a busy day doing do my day job but get get to speak to your lovely self Same. so so it's so <laughs> always the silver of lining <laughs> so, be spoken to. so obviously as i just quickly mentioned before i i hit the record button um the show is called just an insight so i take my guests through a through a musical journey i like to call it um sure. so the first question i always start with is uh what kind of got you into alternative music so what, what was your first introduction to alternative music
1: uh when i was in high school and middle school i was very into uh punk rock and sort of that Developed into uh, like hardcore and metalcore when at sort of the beginning stages of that, uh, hmm. a lot of my friends got into uh, Norma Jean and Zeo around the time that right. But um, I was in high school, you know, junior senior year of high school, and uh, everybody started bands that sounded like that. And I, you know, originally played uh, bass guitar in the infant version of this band, and then switched to vocals later on. But, okay, uh, but yeah, we'd all kind of just everything kind of fell under the cloud of like, I guess the alternative is a good way to put it. Just like, just sort of like the punk kids and the weird kids where I went to school, like all sort of gravitated towards this kind of music. And I was definitely one of those. So,
0: so uh, well, you kind of, you mentioned Norma Dean and Zao, but were there, were they kind of the first bands that, that you were put onto or was there anything sort of uh, earlier to that? Uh, sort of the, the friend group that we
1: had, uh, in those years uh, a lot of people around me were raised very religious so uh, there was a lot of like uh, parameters on what we were and weren't allowed to listen to as kids and so uh, the Zeo Liberate album was probably the scariest sounding (laughs) thing that (laughs) a lot of people that I knew were allowed to listen to and I was definitely drawn towards the the sort of dark vibe of that stuff Mm. and that definitely informed you know, kind of the direction that we had originally headed. I think, as a band.
0: So, you mentioned obviously in the infancy of this band, you you started as bass. So, has kind of as the Agony scene been the only band that you've ever been a part of, or were, were you kind of testing the waters elsewhere before before this band? Kind uh, of...
1: We had played in a. We had played similar. Like me, the original drummer and the original singer played in a like sort of a hardcore punk band when we were all like fifteen and sixteen. Right and then that sort of turned into what the agony scene was after that okay like it's it's sort of those members sort of drafted a few other people that were sort of of like mind and then we sort of started writing uh sort of what would become the original agony scene songs and then it sort of went from there
0: okay so you mentioned a a moment ago obviously playing bass so was that kind of the instrument of choice at the time or was it through necessity that you learned
1: uh i've i'm a better bass player than i am a guitar player (laughs) and uh just by default i think when in my first the very first band i was ever in uh i couldn't play anything and so they kind of stuck me on bass because uh it was easy yeah (laughs) and uh and uh I've always kind of been drawn to that instrument. I think I've played it. You know, I played in bass in bands after the Agony Scene, or between the the years that we were active and not. I played bass in and a few other uh, musical projects as well. I kind of that's sort of the instrument that I'm always drawn to. Okay. I, I feel like I'm a better rhythm player than I am. You know, I don't know that many chords. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> enough.
0: Um, before uh, uh, we delve deep into the Agony Scene itself, what sure the other thing that I always like to kind of intrigue me is, is kind of the introduction to, to live music. So can you remember the first kind of big alternative gig that you went to? Uh, let's
1: try to, that's a, that's a great question. Um, as far as like that stuff goes, not, not necessarily. I mean, I don't, I don't even think I started going to metal shows until I was like, Involved in the agony scene right, stuff. I yeah. think the first, the first, uh, one of the first,
0: one of the first shows I ever saw as a teenager was probably I think it was No Effects and the Swingin' Utters. Okay, that's pretty cool. At,
1: at a at a uh, a venue here, I wasn't allowed to do a lot. I mean, again, I had I had religious parents, and so I wasn't necessarily allowed to do a lot of stuff mm. or go to a lot of things when I was in high school. But you know, the more weird and rebellious I got, the less they tried to you know, <laughs>
0: yeah. Rain
1: me in. I think that was the. I think that was the first like, it, it, uh forgive the uh, very. If you grew up Christian, you'll understand the term uh, secular concert that yeah. I used to go to. <laughs> we set with secular music and scary people smoking cigarettes. All <laughs> like that. So that, that, I think that was some of the first stuff was uh, sort of bigger punk bands that would come through, and so. then uh, we had a sort of a small coffee shop venue here where a lot of touring acts came through. I remember, you know. One of the one of the lineups at the time, seeing sort of uh, was uh, it was every time I die in Norma Jean and bleeding through on the same tour in a room that's probably holds 150 people. Oh wow! That, that was that was very early on in all of those bands' careers, and that was sort of because we get sort of like the you know tour bands would come through, but Tulsa wasn't necessarily a hub for big stuff at that time. So yeah, you know, it was kind of catch catch as catch can with shows uh, that weren't local bands here at that, that period. So, mm. um, but a lot, a lot of the early stuff that we all started going to was local stuff. And then, you know, us and a bunch of our friends all formed different bands that were sort of the, you know, hardcore metalcore genre at the time. Yeah. So it was really just going to see a friend's play was the most shows we got, we, we had at, at the time. Anyway. Okay.
0: And, Excuse us if, if I'm completely out of town, but obviously you mentioned sort of growing up religious. So obviously I know that there are kind of Christian metal bands. Obviously Zayo, you mentioned, is, is one that is a very prominent one. So were you kind sure. of looking to almost kind of get in that way into metal it is almost kind of being a, a Christian metal band, or, or is that something that you wanted to steer away from?
1: The, the very earliest incarnation of the band was there were religious overtones and okay. lyrics uh, with the original singer and, we, and we've we kind of and then obviously our first album came out on solid state so it's hard to you know that that's always been sort of a thing that we've had to you know address in one way or another as to whether we were or are yeah. or continue to be a re- Christian band which we're not but um, understand, the confusion is understandable um, but yeah at the time I mean being 15, 16, 17 and playing music and you know also still living at home with with parents and sort of living in a community that it that does that that religious stuff was important to the music scene that we were in as well so uh i remember there being a lot of like you know when we started blatantly not being that there was you know a little bit of discussion about that uh amongst our peers and all that sort of stuff um but I, at first it definitely was just we, we wanted to play shows and we wanted to be sort of involved in the scene that was happening at the time and that was a uh, almost, you know, religion not being necessarily the focus, but it was a lot of, like, Christian metal bands that mm. we were playing with. And we were, we were certainly amongst those ranks in the very early stages and then it sort of evolved into what it is now, which is sort of a... not bad. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> and,
0: and when you mentioned obviously kind of stepping away from that and obviously having to kind of explain that to your peers so was that quite a how, how was that kind of met in those early days or was it because you were so young people didn't really think about an I eyelid i think we
1: had i think we almost had a defined attitude about it where it was sort of like you know like um you, you like when i was a kid or whatever like you, you like the way you like Feel like what you what you're doing is rebellious. Yes, yeah. you kind of take a pride in the rebellion of it, and I think there, to some degree, we treated it that way. or just like you know, we we kind of stepped. I, I mean, we didn't make like a you know, it wasn't like a press conference where we're like we're no longer. <laughs> yeah, we just we it just sort of went the direction it went, and I think the backlash to it, whatever the small degree of that was, sort of fed the fire of us to like you know, I think we're doing the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> for us.
0: Well, if we get on to, to the agony scene itself now, so you talk me through how you mentioned obviously there was various early incarnations of, of the band, sure. but but the the band that we like most people saw sort of in that early two thousands period. How how did that come to to form and and shape what what was to be the first inclination of the band? Um,
1: I had left. I think we there was some like interpersonal stuff that I don't even want to talk about cause it's preposterous, but I, had, uh, <laughs> so. I, had, I don't want to tell that story again, but I, I, I left, uh, uh, and then there was, I was replaced and there was a couple of different singers before me in the very, very early stages. Mm. And, uh, I had gone on to play in a different band, play bass and then eventually sing in a different band. Um, while they were writing sort of the demos that, be, that got them signed to solid state. Um, and so I'd been gone for a while, and uh, the, the singer at the time had left, and I think they just needed the spot filled, and I was uh, around and wanting to do it, and then we started writing what became the first album for the songs. A few of those songs existed already, and I think I came in and you know wrote new vocal parts over them, and then uh, that turned into what the first album was, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a a revolving door of people for a little bit, and then we kind of solidified it on the lineup, and then wrote the first record, mm. and then recorded it, uh, in fairly quick succession from me being the band. <laughs> and uh,
0: again, I, I keep harping back to you playing bass, but obviously, people obviously know you now as the vocalist of the band. So, right. uh, was that something that you were always wanted to kind of pursue, or again, was it through necessity that that you would? put into that spotlight? I didn't
1: really, I mean, I, the, the original version of the band, uh, or the punk, the, the hardcore punk band that we did early on, it was me and a different guy were sort of sharing vocal duties. Right, okay. And uh, and then when I left to join, or I left and then joined another band, uh, I kind of by default became the singer of that band. And then that, singing in that band, I was playing bass and singing at the same time and then we got a bass player and then I was just the singer. And then that led me to want to just be a vocalist, and then that sort of turned into rejoining the Agony scene as a vocalist. Okay, so... That's well, a very convoluted...
0: No, 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 That's, <laughs> so, so was it a case that, that, as you say, like, you wanted to... You almost kind of felt more... You mentioned, like, the bass being sort of the thing that you were drawn to, but once you kind of got that taste for, for being the front man, that you felt comfortable in that position? I've always felt comfortable as a vocalist, Mm.
1: And I, I, I was, ha- I mean, like, I, I like playing an instrument and I I do like, I do like that. But I, it's, uh, I felt at the time stepping into just a vocalist position was pretty, uh, you know, I didn't have to buy gear. So it was, it was <laughs> nice, yeah. to, nice to just show up and do something. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I think like, I, I kind of, as we were writing the first record, I sort of developed the voice that I use now, like sort of, I wanted it to be a little... Less hardcore yelling and a little more shrieky, and what it sort of turned into. We hmm. also like uh, all sort of
0: discovered Cradle of Filth at the same time. <laughs> nice,
1: Chris and I did, and that was sort of like, well, this guy's sounds insane, and I sort of want to mimic something like that. Yeah, mixed with the other stuff that I like. So that sort of where all that came from.
0: And I don't know whether this is just my perception for, from an outward view, but I think see from the kind of early onsets of the bands in that kind of early 2000 period you you were always one of the bands that kind of got grouped in with the likes of bleeding through uh and things like that probably still to this day we do exactly yes (laughs) but but i mean that as in the in a compliment in the fact that of course yeah, yeah that you're kind of i don't know you were all as almost as soon as That debut album came out you were instantly within those top tier bands so how was it kind of being young going into that scene and almost being thrust in that that top position so to say uh i mean
1: i i i love that your perception is that that (laughs) I i wouldn't say that touring or album sales or anything reflected that view of us i think like we were like a fairly strong mid-level band,
0: yeah, uh,
1: or like lower-tier mid-level band when we started. We were also children; like I was nineteen when the first album came out, mm. which is which is a crazy age to do anything <laughs> on that level. Yeah. Um, and I think we we're just—I mean, we literally just tried to. I mean, where we're from, like again, there's like a handful of bands, but like what we were doing wasn't i mean like nobody else around was doing what we were doing and so yeah. we like kind of entered into the like broader arena of you know we, we like there's no scene for this here at the time
0: mm. and
1: so we didn't really have other bands that sort of influenced what we were like and um so we just kind of f- figured that out as we as we were exposed to other bands in our genre that toured and all that stuff that sort of we kind of tried to figure out what we were, yeah, so to speak. Because I mean, like we, you know, we out the gate we're like wearing makeup and fishnets and all that stuff. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, like people don't really do that, but uh, but then we I think we just were I think we were just a genuine version of ourselves when we started, yeah. And uh, and um, and then being kind of put out there around other people, it was sort of we kind of got. We cut our teeth on tour, which is a weird thing to do.
0: Yeah. Because,
1: I mean, we, we were signed and then put a record out and then went on tour pretty much without ever touring before. Mm. So, like, our first tour with uh, Demon Hunter and Extol was, like, the first tour we ever really did. And then going from there, it was, like, you know, we're just a bunch of kids, like, kind of trying to figure out who we are and what our band is and sort of where we fit into the genre and that kind of thing, because we, we definitely do have the we wear the metal core moniker, you know, whether we sound exactly like that or not. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think we're a weird hybrid of what everybody likes in the band. And, you know, that's just a shoe that fit the best at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say, I mean, I'm I, like, you know, even with the new stuff or with, you know, previous records, I think like it's heavy, but it's, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's standard metal core by any stretch. Yeah. And, uh, it's weird. It's weird to hear how people interpret like, <laughs> you. Yeah. You know, I, I, like you, you saying that we're a, a top tier band in that genre, like that's very flattering because I I, I wish that that was absolutely true. <laughs> probably wouldn't have taken an 11 year hiatus if, uh, if we felt that way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then um, you, you mentioned obviously basically like cutting your teeth on tour. So that first sort of touring experience, as you say, being 19 at the time, what what was yeah. that like like because i i think if i give you a bit of perspective like i i play in a little rubbish punk OI band over here in the uk sure but i've sort of been been on tours with with friends like just helping out with merch and things like that mm-hmm. uh, and my experience is very different because i'm kind of a, in the background but obviously with you being right. that first i, I guess focal point in the band at 19 how was that experience
1: uh, it's like, you know, I compare it to like, say you're 17 and you're in high school and your parents just moved you to a new town. Yeah. And, uh, and that feeling of kind of just being like, trying to like be comfortable in your own skin. And it sort I mean, it was fun and it was great, but it's also like, we are incredibly new at this. Mm. And and trying to figure out how to be a functional group of people as basically teenagers and twenty year olds is is a pretty, is a pretty intense thing to like to like kind of deal with. Yeah, and it also gave me like uh, probably I always apologize to anybody who, you know encountered us in the early years, but I'm sure I had an <laughs> enormously inflated ego that was definitely not deserved at the time. But yeah, I mean we're just camping I mean, kids doing. Sorry, uh, That's so kids funny. doing uh, I need to smoke a cigarette. I want to talk about the old stuff. Uh, <laughs> kid, like yeah, just a bunch of kids. I mean, it's uh, I, I, it was, it was the purest and the most fun we probably ever had doing it because it was so like just you know stars in our eyes, like holy, holy shit, we're you know we're we're playing these big clubs with these big bands and it's this whole thing and like you know my, you know I would look at back when you used to look at magazines. Before the internet was really that much of a thing, I'd just look at pictures of people playing big shows, and it's like, that's all I want to do. Yeah. I to do that, I'm set. And then, like, I'm doing that in whatever capacity we were doing it. And it's like, oh, this is insane. And then we probably didn't, you know, live in the moment as much as we should, and probably didn't appreciate what was happening to us as we should have. And in hindsight, that's sort of thing you figure out as you get older but mm.
0: yeah it was weird <laughs> i guess i guess my answer is it was real weird yeah. <laughs> and obviously i've already kind of mentioned like when you were those early days when, well even to an extent now as you say like those bands like yourselves like bleeding through like Earth, norma Jean mm-hmm. were obviously still around it was a, a real kind of hub of that sort of metalcore hardcore sound for sure um right. and obviously a lot of people kind of attribute that to to the MySpace era sort of thing so for sure. being part of that from from an insider what was it like because i think again from an outside perspective like the way that i discovered new music was if i liked a band i'd f- see who they had in their their top eight friends on top on eight, of course. Yeah. yeah so uh, we did
1: a lot of leveraging to be in top eight <laughs> a, go on tour with a uh... Whoever was much bigger than us at the time, and be like, "Hey, man, could you uh, just for the tour cycle? Would you just stick us in your top eight so people look at it?" I totally, I, I, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but that is that is a bizarre thing <laughs> <laughs> to navigate that landscape. Also, like, I mean, not to sound like the oldest person in the world, but like all of that sort of like social media informing how music was going was so new yeah i'm not sure that anybody really understood how to process it or what it would turn into or anything like that because like the followers and sort of your numbers on the internet definitely started to matter a lot like we kind of saw the transition from physical cds to digital music sort of happen in the span of our career which Mm. is weird so like you know what? What good numbers are now, and what good numbers were then, as far as sales go, is like insane. Like, um, but yeah, it was. A, it was like a. I mean, I think the first record there was way less of that. Second album definitely was more of a. Uh, you know, how many how many MySpace friends do you have? Yeah. In your top eight, and can you get into Lamb of God's top eight while you're on tour with them? And it's like that was a. It was a weird like, kind of social, media marketing, leveraging your weight with amongst other people's weight and trying to, like, I don't know, it's a weird thing to do. I do not <laughs> paid enough attention to it, honestly. And then we didn't exist between the transition from MySpace to Facebook, so, like, you know, I feel like our MySpace numbers were pretty heavy. And then when we came back, our, you know, we just missed the Facebook train. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to, trying to re, we're trying to get that uh, to respectable numbers at the moment, which is a weird thing to do, too.
0: Yeah, and... Um... But obviously, in terms of that kind of era, obviously between sort of your inception and the hiatus, obviously you had three three records in quite mm-hmm. quite quick succession. I, I guess for in terms of sort of nowadays, because sometimes bands take quite a few years to to get records out, and obviously all yeah. those all those records, I think, still hold up to to this day. So is is it a case of I don't know that because you were so. In 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 what was going on, and it was so fresh at the time that, that the writing just came kind of came naturally. Or, or how, how was the work of those those three albums? Uh, the first the first
1: one was just like our first batch of songs with this lineup. Like you know, we had all uh, I always say you have all time in the world to write your first one. Yeah, and, you know, we had all we had all of high school up until you know we kind of solidified what the sound was and, and all and then, like, I just kept having kids, having Okay. Sons, and uh, so uh, we did our first tour cycle, and then my first son was born, and then we kind of like half-ass broke up and regrouped and wrote the Dark Thread, and then uh, toured on that, and then I had another kid, and then uh, sort of teared it down to the good damn thing, and then I, I mean, I, I think we all, I think we always lament that we took too much time off between stuff, right. So I, I mean, I guess they are in pretty quick succession, but at the same time, it's like there was a ton of downtime on our end between writing and recording and getting back out. So mm. I think if we'd probably try to stay more consistent with our tour schedule, maybe we'd be in a different spot than we are now. But and then we took eleven years off and put another album out. So. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely, we definitely took our time on that one. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's, it's like it's been so. I mean, it's literally been over a decade so it's like all that stuff blurs together in my head pretty bad yeah i just remember I, and like it's hard to even imagine just because life goes the way it is like what that was like at the time because yeah, it's some, like it's such a distant you know 10 lifetimes ago different <laughs> life situations yeah. between now and then so like i don't know it's just it's like a weird blur for, um, i think for i mean uh, those guys also chris uh, the other guys in the band have a way better memory and stuff like so I'm probably the worst person to talk to about in
0: the past well before we kind of get on to, to the break and obviously where we're at now something I did I was dying to ask the cover sure. of Paint It Black what, where did that idea come from? yeah
1: uh of, kind uh of Paint It Black oven. we just played in the room and then all of a sudden covered it <laughs> fair enough uh, I, think, I think essentially like it sort of follows the sort of like that that riff that, that sort of the beginning riff of that song I think follows the sort of natural pattern of what the sort of Gothenburg inspired metal riffs that we're playing at the time was and I yeah. think somebody played it in the room like or figured that out or something or another and then we all just sort of looked through each other and then learned it and then played it <laughs> <laughs> I, think we, I think we figured out how to play it within a half an hour and then there was some debate whether to even put it on the album and then We actually yeah we weren't going to and then i think in the studio we asked yeah yeah there was a song we didn't like dump that that song and then uh did paint a my cover (laughs) as opposed to the other song i remember being in the studio uh when we were tracking it and uh adam d from kill switch did our first album and i think i was sitting in the control room with him and i was like would you put a cover on your first album and he just goes nope we, we, we did it fair enough yeah it just sort of I mean I think I think it literally you're just like we're dicking around and it, it just sort of happened like it, I don't think anybody came in the room and was like we should cover Pain of Black <laughs> high five or anything I mean, it just sort of happened and it sounded cool to us at the time so.
0: I was going to say it's, it's a, it holds up I was going to say it's a very good cover so that's all I had yeah, to ask I
1: mean the Unseen did almost an identical one after uh, they toured with us so <laughs> not, to, not to be <laughs> no
0: obviously i've got to i've got to mention obviously the the break and obviously you mentioned you were doing other things so during the the 11 year break between sort of the the initial breakup and where we are now like what what were you doing were you you still heavily involved in music were you as you say having kids having family time like what what was your sort of Uh, life like in those in this interim period
1: personally uh I started playing uh, bass guitar with a guy, uh, John Moreland, who's from here, who's kind of a singer-songwriter from here, and it's sort of a, a Americana, blues-rock-inspired thing. Okay. I played in his band for,
0: I think, six years off and on. Yeah. And then
1: just, uh, I went to welding school, and I'm a welder, and, you know, hung out with kids and sort of did, you know, just sort of normal stuff. I played, I, I started a punk band with some friends, and... I've kind of always done something. It's never been anything I've taken that seriously because, you know, life has not allowed for those, you know, to pursue anything in any real way since yeah. uh, the agony scene break. But, uh, I, I, I like to... I always like to be involved in a band of some kind. So I, I try to, to be busy and have that be like a hobby and uh, sort of between work shifts or what real life was and all that stuff. So, uh... But yeah, I, I mean nothing. Nothing. I like went both feet and you know tried to make happen in any real way. But mm. I always, I've always played with people in some capacity.
0: Mm. And so, what what was the the kind of light bulb moment to to bring the agony scene back together? Was it a case that you guys start got got the itch again, or talk to yeah, me through
1: that process? I don't even remember how the conversation started with how do we start? How do we decide we wanted to play? Reed? we Just start talking about it. So we, uh, um, Chris is standing here next to me. <laughs> no yeah, I, I think it just essentially was like, I think Chris and Chris and Brian had initially talked to each other about it because they lived together. And, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, it had been at that time, it had been nine years, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, it was 2014. We played a reunion show at home, so we uh, kind of just reached out. I mean, the, the idea sort of happened, and then we, we like kind of tested the waters and reached out to everybody involved. and Was like, hey, you know, do you want to play a show? It'd be fun. Um, and then we it all kind of landed on that we did want to do that, and um, started rehearsing. And then you know, we're just in a room together, you know, rehearsing. And, and playing the old songs, and, you know, new people just start, you know, playing guitar in a room with drums, and then, you know, riffs start happening, and, um, it just sort of turned into, like, we should write stuff,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: like, we're all here, like, why not try to write something, and then, uh, four years later, we started, we were, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, like, so we did that. We did, the, I think there was like the, the initial reunion show, and then we did three more. Yeah. Just playing around. Play, we played Arkansas a few times. We played here twice. And then that turned into like, let's write an EP. And we, you know, started writing a little bit, uh, you know, and then over the, I think it was like 2015 and 16, we started half ass writing. And then, uh, a year and a half ago we started really writing and we sort of reached out to our management at the time and we are like what do you guys think if we did an EP? And yeah. And they, sort of, they were receptive and then that turned into a conversation about just writing a whole album. Like if you're gonna you know, spend the time and money making a four song EP you might as well make a nine song full length. Yeah. So then it sort of like in the most organic I mean I don't think it, we, we have no idea I mean, just being The kind of people we are, like we don't expect anybody to clamor to new material from us. So, like, we're we're pretty surprised at the uh,
0: level of uh, receptiveness that's happened so far. Yeah. (laughs) Oh wow! Like people care. Um. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it, just—it just took. I think everybody's kind of just getting gray in the face and bored, and (laughs) if we have another opportunity to go do this cool thing that we all miss doing, like. Why not? Yeah. You know, the longer we don't do it, the less likely it would be that it would even happen. So, you know, the stars kind of aligned in everybody's life to be like, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, quit my job and do this, that and the other and sort of go try this again. So that's sort of where we're at now. Like,
0: and with that first sort of reunion show, was it kind of dipping your toes in the water or was it like getting back on the, on the bike sort of situation?
1: Uh, I remember it just being like, like, it was, like, it's one of those things, like, you just, I, I would, I, are you needing to leave singer? No. Okay. Um, I was, uh, I think we were all kind of just, like, wanted to feel that thing again that we have, which is, like, playing together in the room. And yeah. Playing the old songs, and it's exciting and familiar and, like, you know, and then, and then playing, playing, playing it in front of you. And, you know, we had, like, the greatest... The greatest set of circumstances in the world, which has been a ton of time, we're playing at home, and it's just like our friends and family and everybody. It's you know, like the first one was like the great, like you know, if we had stopped there, I would think everybody'd be pretty like happy that we did one that would that went so well. And, yeah. And then it was like sort of, I don't know. It sort of sparked the uh, conversation of writing more from there. I mean, I, I think I don't think we had any intention of making another album when we started talking about the reunion shows I mm. think it was just a fun thing to try to do because we were all around and you know and then that that sort of that from there I, I don't even remember exactly how it went but it was like well let's start writing
0: <laughs> yeah well you've brought up writing so we'll, we'll move on to the new record that's coming out obviously sure first record in since 2007 so what what's kind of been different for for you in terms of influences sort of lyrically obviously from listening to the two tracks that you've released there seems to be a bit more of a brutality in in your vocals and the way that the guys play as well so is is that something that you you look to what kind of influences were were you guys delving into uh i think
1: we definitely don't i mean we definitely don't sit down and like, all right, this one's going to be super pissed. Like, (laughs) like, Like, like there's not that much thought or like deliberate thought that goes into like, this is what we want to sound like. Yeah. I think, uh, every, every one of our albums is different enough that we're just, this is where we're at, um, at the time. And this is the best songs we've written for this period of time and whatever. And that's, I think definitely true with this one. We had like a pretty decent number of songs or parts of songs kind of nailed down and then uh, we wrote two things back to back that sort of was like oh this is what it should be like and these are songs you haven't heard yet so I, can't, I don't necessarily talk about yeah, what true. they are like you know, they're unreleased songs but we had two sort of back to back that was like this is the feel and vibe that is making the most sense and let's write to this Yeah, and then from there it sort of turned into what Tormentor is and you know um, but uh, I think Musically, um, I don't know, I think everybody's more on the, you know, black metal and thrash metal kind of area. I think we just want to, like, I think the only the only thought I think anybody had as far as what we were doing at the time for what direction was, like, I just want to make a metal record. Like, I yeah. don't want it to sound like it's 2007 again and we're back to, you know we're thrown back and putting you know our makeup and fishnets back on I, I didn't want it to feel <laughs> yeah. like I didn't want it to feel like a retro like you know
0: yeah yeah, I, like a nostalgia I wanted to
1: feel like what we sort of are like now and
0: yeah. it, it literally is just you know this is the stuff that happened in the room this is the stuff that happened you know
1: on on people's own and sort of what what we thought sounded like the best stuff that we were coming up with so this mm. is, uh, the nine strongest songs that we ri- we wrote for this and you know, I, I think I, i d I'm not even sure that we were like, let's make a something that sounds more like the dark thread or let's make something angrier, let's I think it just this is what came out. Yeah. And it's sort of like the riff would inform how the vocals went and you know, it just sort of is its own insulated thing,
0: mm. I think. And I've, I've bought up Bleeding Through a couple of times in this conversation, but sure. obviously yourself... bringing them up. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, yourselves bringing out a new record next month, sure. Bleeding Through bought out a new record uh, last month, you're going on tour with Between the Buried and Me, who have bought out two new records this year, all bands that were kind of part of that early 2000s sort of vibe. So is it quite surreal to see that... that yourselves included uh, are back and the, the people are so so excited I, think, I want to say I think everybody's sort of reaching the
1: same conclusions at the same time which is just like man we're all 35 now <laughs> <laughs> and like nobody's getting any younger and like while there's still momentum I think it's like certainly for us it's like the longer we don't like, we want to do this, and the longer we don't do it, the less likely it's going to happen. Yeah. Just cause, and uh, I feel like, you know, definitely bands from that are our peers or whatever are from the same era, uh, putting material out at the same time we are is definitely helpful for us to kind of ride that wave of, like, everybody's back. Or <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. So uh, I don't think, I mean, I'm I'm so checked out of stuff. Sometimes, like, I don't even, like, I think I, I didn't know the, I, I don't know the amount of people that are putting out new stuff that were right okay our, our peers or whatever, just because I like, I don't, I just pay very little attention to anything outside <laughs> yeah. of my weird little bubble. So, uh, uh, but I mean, it's, I think the timing is great. I think it sort of helps everybody if everybody's doing it at the same time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, like, I think we're definitely benefit from the sort of like, like resurgence of you know, early two thousands metalcore being like a thing that people care about again. I think I think we're definitely gonna benefit from that as far as like people giving us a listen because we're you know kind of lumped into that peer group. Yeah,
0: perfect, Mike. And um, before I let you go, how I like to, to end these conversations is to to ask my guest uh, what their favorite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what okay. what is your favorite Agony Scene song that you like to perform live and why?
1: Oh man, uh, I think it's again. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I like uh, scapegoat is always very fun. Yeah. Because I think it's we get the biggest response from that typically, and uh, it's a fun. You know, I kind of turn the chorus live into a co- almost like a call and response kind of thing. Yeah. So that's that's definitely a fun song. I think that that middle break that it's heavy is always incredibly fun to watch people react to. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you always want to, think, it's always fun to play that. Like, I mean, I think that's other than painted black. I think that's our most downloaded or listened to song <laughs> as, far as, yeah. what I'm, as far as what I'm aware of. And uh, it definitely gets, it elicits a response that makes playing the show fun.
0: Perfect. Brilliant. No, uh, oh, as sorry. far as,
1: Oh, uh, I don't know old stuff I think uh, like very old stuff I think Hades Corpus is probably way up there as far as like first record stuff yeah uh, that, that one is fun as well
0: cool perfect Mike thank, thank you very you. much for your time I really yeah, man, really appreciate it me. and I can't wait to hear the new, new record really looking forward to it I can't wait for you to hear it either. Buddy. <laughs> take it easy yes sir Talk cheers to you bye so there we have it folks thanks again to Mike for taking the time to have a little chat with me uh, the band's new album Tormentor comes out on July 20th um, and you can pre-order it now from all various stores on their Facebook site record label etc etc um, as always I'll put the relevant links in the description of this episode so will be Facebook Twitter blah 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 and I'll put a link to the pre-order for the album as well uh, next week it's going to be a little bit of a different episode for us uh, as I'm going to the 2000 Trees Festival. Uh, So I'm going to try something a little bit different and I'm going to do like a review show of the festival whilst we're at the festival. Uh, Going to get some friends of the podcast on with me and just sort of sit down and give our... uh, I was about to say analysis... uh, review of each day and then going to cumber that all together into an episode. It might work, it might not. We'll wait and see. But that's the plan anyway. Um, but for now, everyone, thanks again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon.